Great stuff. I love it when God does things. And just We had just such a wonderful time yesterday with God touching people. Just It's, it's great. When we position ourselves, God moves. Isn't it? How about that? A lot of people wait for God to do something and they find nothing much happens to them. But those who position themselves, and positioning has a lot to do with your attitudes and actions. Uh, the Bible tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to us. So the initiative lies with us to do something. And sometimes it's a simple thing like standing up, coming out on an altar call. Sometimes it's a simple thing like apologizing. Sometimes it's a simple thing like showing kindness to somebody you don't want to show kindness to. But we, we, we have to take initiatives based on what God's telling us to do. When we do that, all kinds of stuff can happen. We make room for God to work. And uh, so today we're, into a, we're going to have a good time today. I'm looking forward to today. And uh, we want to just, I want you to be open for God to touch your life and, and uh, for you to be genuine and authentic with the Lord. When God, God is good, so he only got good stuff for us. He doesn't sort of sit back thinking how he can punish us or make life hard for us. He's always considering the good he can do to us because he is good. It's his nature to be good. And so in the series, we'll be looking at a series, Undercover, which is all about recognizing that God is in charge. So whether you recognize he's in charge doesn't change it. He's still in charge, isn't it? Eh? He's always still in charge. Just whether we recognize and position ourselves under his leadership. And so sometimes you hear these words, authority, submission, obedience, all those kind of things. They can have a lot of emotions around the words. But there's lots of ways we can express similar things. And at the end of the day, it boils down to how you see God, whether you see him being good and his designs for you always good, or whether you view him through a distorted uh, lens or, or mindsets of how you've experienced authority in the past. And if our thoughts and our attitudes have been shaped negatively towards authorities in our life because of how they treated us or we, the way we felt they treated us, then when we come to approach God, we will approach him with a negative mindset. And that inevitably, if we don't overcome that and begin to see God as he is, not who we think he is, we won't relate to him right. If we don't relate to him right, we'll malfunction. You remember the story of the parable of the talents. Jesus said that, uh, that the master gave to every steward uh, talents, one five, one two, one one, and everyone had an opportunity to become productive. And we saw one got five, got five, and two got two. But they had an attitude towards the master. And the one who only had one, the one talent man, when the master came and said, well, what did you do with your life? How productive were you with your life and with the opportunities, the life, the purpose, the destiny I gave you? How productive were you? And he said this statement. He said, well, I knew you were a hard man. And I was afraid. So I looked after myself and buried the talent and did my own thing. That's essentially what he said. In other words, his concept of God, which was distorted, then affected how he ran his life, and he missed the opportunity he had, not only now, but in eternity. And that's what this whole series is about. Don't get caught up with reacting to things that are in the book or in the series of teaching. Yet the key thing is that God is a good God. He wants us to become positioned so we can have huge influence and be very productive and fulfill our destiny. See? So now, if God wants you to fulfill your destiny, suppose we accept the truth that before, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, before the world began, God chose you, and then he had a plan and a purpose that you would be before him holy, without blame, and you would be a son to him. That's God's design. 
You would represent him. We're all called to represent him in the world. So long before we entered the world, that was what God planned for us. And not only that, Ephesians 2.10 says he plans the things for us to do. So how does God get us from when we're born into the world to when we're in that place of functioning flowing? Well, very simple. He's got to use circumstances to prepare us. And so we're going to look at that and look at some of the things in our background. I want to focus just this Sunday. I just want to focus on family background, how that impacts us. And we want to look at just making a decision today to position yourself for God's very best. We're going to give you a chance at the end of the, the, the session here. We'll do the same tonight uh, at, at just coming and reflecting on what's happened in your past and being willing to lay down and let go of things that are a block to you going forward. Uh, Pastor Lynn's going to be doing the same next week. She'll pick it up from another area and expand it to other areas of other authority figures, other people in our life that have hurt us. And what we want to do is come prepared to get rid of the baggage so you can rise up and go forward. We okay about that? Okay, let's have a look in uh, just a quick scripture here. I want you to have a look with me in Genesis chapter 45. Genesis 45. Genesis 45. We're just going to look briefly at Joseph, and then I want to go to the New Testament and just preach out of one of the uh, stories of Jesus' goodness. Okay, so Genesis chapter 45. And verse 4. This is Joseph. Joseph's now been reunited with his brothers who really treated him very badly. And uh, he said, please come near to me. And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Of course, that really freaked them. They've come for his help. And now he says, I'm the brother you ripped off and sold into Egypt into slavery. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God. Now, look at this. God sent me. God sent me before you to preserve life. And uh, and he says, verse 7, God sent me sent me before you to preserve posterity for you and the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was not you who sent me, but God. Now you've got to understand what he'd experienced. His experience of life was incredibly painful. Now he got a vision, a dream, and God said, I'm going to make you a great ruler and I'm going to give you influence over your family, over a whole, over a whole wide range of people. He said, I'm going to cause you to be greatly. Now, how does God get him from there to being the leader? Well, God's got to grow the man. And to grow the man, he's got to take him through experiences, which are opportunities to trust God. So the first one, which was an opportunity to trust God, was when his brothers got angry at him when he shared the dream and sold him off like a slave into Egypt. So you can think through all that that involves, being sold by your own brothers for a few 30 pieces of silver, sold to some ungodly people taken off to another land and then sold at an auction mart, put up on a, put up in an auction, you know, not trade me, you know, but put up in an auction where they strip them naked and then they poke them and prod them and they bid for them like cattle. That's what happened to him. And then he was put there in part of his house, served faithfully in that place. Then he was falsely accused of rape, just on the verge of being killed for it. And instead he's put into the deepest part of prison. Then in prison, he helps others out, and they forget all about him. Now, he had 13 years of mistreatment, and he was able to say at the end of it, it wasn't you who sent me here, it was God. Now, he could have risen up in bitterness and now said, now it's payback time. But you see, he, he was captivated by God's purpose for his life. 
And he, he came to be able to resolve what had happened in his life. He was able to resolve it and come to the place of trust and see that God, what they meant for evil, God turned it for good. Now, how does God turn something evil around so it's good? You've got to see the bigger purpose of God in it. And you've got to not allow what hurt you to defile you. If you allow what people do to you to bring about reactions and defilement, then you won't see God in it. You'll just be focused emotionally and spiritually on the evil that was done. And it will then recycle in your life. But when we look above it and see God has a destiny for me, he knew what was going to happen, and he can use it to accomplish his purpose. So the thing the devil sends against you to destroy you, God can turn it so it becomes his launching pad to success. Think about that. The brothers determined to get rid of Joseph by selling him. God used their plan to bring him to the place where he could deliver them. Think about that. Now, something must happen inside you that brings God into the scene for that to happen. Because I know heaps of people, they had bad stuff happen and they just got bitter and their lives were shipwrecked. What is the difference here? The difference is you have to make a choice what you're going to do with the junk and what you're going to do with God. And what most people do is they become bitter and negatively affected and full of distrust and form ungodly beliefs and then they don't trust God. They blame him for what's happened to them. Now, God has got no bad things to send us. Okay? But bad things come to us. They come to us for very various reasons. They come to us from the devil. They come to us because we live in the fallen world. They come to us because we do silly things, crazy things, and reap consequences. But our decision in the middle of it can turn it so it becomes a launching pad to get us where God wants us to be. That is the key thing. If you can understand that, if you just get a hold of that. So I'm going to share with you a little bit some things you've got to do. There are some things you have to do to shift yourself where God uses what happened to you to be a pillar to get you somewhere, okay? Now, everywhere I go in the world, I mean, where I go in the world, I don't have to try doing anything, but everywhere I go in the world, I have people in churches come up and they felt the Father heart of God touch them. I have young people come up and they, they see me as a spiritual dad. A lot of young pastors do. I don't know what they see. I don't feel it myself. I don't feel anything. I'm just me. Just go there and help out and do stuff and whatever. But they all feel it. And so I come in after a meeting and I say, oh, we felt God's, the Father, heart of God, felt the love of God come around, just wrap around us and love us. And they weep and get healed and all kinds of stuff. I think, oh, well, that's great, you know, awesome. I wonder how that happened. Okay. And uh, they, they tell me all these stories about how their fathers did this and did this and did this. All this kind of stuff happened and, and how now God has just touched them and, and they've really been restored now. And, all that. and I think, well, how that all happened, you know? You see, because that was not my experience personally. My experience personally was a father who was, was a good man, but emotionally shut down and unable to communicate love ever. He did the right things, and that was the best way he could communicate it. But at an emotional level, he was never able to say the words, not even to when he died, not once. Was he ever to utter the words, I love you, not once. And, And that hurt. He was shut off emotionally. And so I grew up completely disconnected 
And I, because I was in pain over this whole deal, I had to find a way of surviving the pain. And everyone's got to find a way. When you get hurt, uh, you have to find a way to survive the pain. And so, you know, living in, in a situation where there's anxiety and fear, and, and, and uh, I, just found, I just withdrew. So you wouldn't realize, because you see me up here now, you see, you look and you see one thing, but you don't realize what there was back there that brought me here. See? And what there was back there was complete, complete relational and emotional disconnection. Totally disconnected. Totally. I don't even know where I was growing up. I can't hardly remember any of it. I read books. I was an avid reader. I'd go down to the library, man. I was an addict in the library. If I was today, it'd be TV games and internet games and stuff. I'd be lost out in cyberspace. And where are you? Don't know. In a, in a, in a fantasy world, escaping the pain. See? To me, it was painful, and the pain affected me deeply. And and when you're in pain, and when there's conflict and difficulties and whatever, and what I experienced was little compared to what many here have experienced, but it still affected me. In fact, both of my brothers, they're both coming to terms with it right now. And I've been able to lead the way and help them. You see, so, so coming out there, I had all these years, 21 years old, 20 odd years, just completely disconnected, living away in a fantasy world, blah, 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 and then trying to cope with the real world by just struggling and striving hard, working and performing, trying to be the best. And no matter how high I got, it was always, that's not good enough, you could be higher. That's painful stuff. You know, work as hard as you can. So you look at my school record, diligence cups, diligence cups all the way through. But it's just actually a, a person struggling to be accepted and trying hard to get approval by working. Horrible, really. Looks good, though. Looks good. But actually it's driven by something else, driven by pain and fear and longing for acceptance that never seemed to be forthcoming. And so, of course... That huge, huge blocks in my life, huge difficulties in relating. And, and this, this makes a, a huge challenge then when you've got to later on enter into intimate relationship, either with, with God, with my wife, and with children. I had major stuff to have to sort out. And I had to actually deal with, personally deal with the issue of my reaction to dad because of what I perceived was a terrible rejection by him. Had to deal with it. Had to actually... Use it now. Here's the thing. I won't get into all the details. I will give you a couple of keys at the end. But here's the thing. That very thing where I longed to be loved by a father is now probably the one thing I can give more than anything anywhere in the world. So how do you get from there to there? See, the thing that was such a pain and a grief and, a, and, and, a, and like a demonic attack on me and my destiny became actually the launching step to be able to come over here where now I'm able to give what I never got. See, how does that happen? See, see, God can take the very circumstance you were in, and if you will respond to him his way. Okay? There's a psalm that says, as for God, his way is perfect. Now, we've got our ways. And you know what my way was? Retreat, withdraw, get angry, resentful, hate myself, and get away into reading books. Now, that's, not, that's my way. That was a good way. It seemed a good way at the time. It was a destructive way, and it would have led to total destruction of marriage and family. Let me, I want to read for you something I saw on the paper the other night. 
Uh, actually, it was in uh, Saturday night. Here it is. And uh, Saturday night in the, uh, let's have a look at a famous paper here, Hooks Bay Today. So, and here we go. Now, I'm not going to read the whole article. I'm going to read this. Look, at, read this. Now, I thought it was interesting they've discovered this because we can show you a Bible verse. It's very clear in the Bible. It says, the patterns set in the first relationship determine every other relationship. This is what they've just discovered. And now, here's the second thing they discovered. The patterns, uh, those patterns are a glue for relationships in society. So when the glue comes unstuck, then you can, look at this, you can expect every other relationship for that child and society as a whole to come unstuck. That's interesting, isn't it? No wonder God says, honor your father and mother that it may go well for you and that you may live long. It's a very simple principle. It's talking here in this article about uh, good parenting. But what they've identified is the first relationship, the first experience you have with authority and with someone responsible to give direction, protection, and represent God in your life, that first one. That is the one, how you respond to that sets the pattern for all the rest of your life. And if that's messy, everything will be messy. It's interesting they made the statement, it forms the pattern. A pattern is something that you use to copy from. So when the pattern is destructive in your home and family, what happens is it's the pattern you model in every other relationship. Now, you think, now, what I did was this. I said things like this, I'll never be like my dad. Well, that was too bad because that was rooted not in a decision or choice out of love. It was rooted in bitterness and anger and hurt. So what did I do? Become exactly like him. See? So things, what happens is when we are hurt, what we do then is we react. It can be resentment, it can be anger, it can be feel it rejected, we have feelings and experiences, then we form belief systems. And those belief systems in our heart are what then begin to govern how all the rest of life works out. You can't trust anyone. You know what will happen? You'll have a life filled with distrust. Okay? I can only trust myself. So I've got to be in control of every situation. You know what will happen? You'll have trouble with control all your life. And so what happens is the insecurity, the, the belief systems we form in the heart as we grow and the patterns we see, we actually will go out and just reproduce them. I found young women get attracted uh, often inevitably to someone who is just as uh, out of kilter as their father was because the emotional focus in their heart, their hearts carried that brokenness and they look almost, it's almost like they're trying to find someone who will just fit like that so that they'll feel safe and okay with it, then the problems emerge again. You've still got to solve them. I've seen that over and over and over again. People start off and they think, well, I'll never be like that, and they find someone just like that, and they reproduce the same issue. Issues become generational. And so God's pattern is always the best. As for God, his way is perfect. How about that? As for God, his way is perfect. So all of us who are here today have a family we came from. Some may be great families, some may not be so good. Some, it could be divorce. When children go through divorce, they get hurt, they believe things. Ah, you never trust a woman, eh? Never get committed. There's a whole generation out there now won't commit to marriage because they've never seen a good one. So what do they believe? Doesn't work. Of course it works. As for God, 
his way worketh. You know? It works. We've had to change. We've modeled our marriage on God's way. And it works. Okay? We modeled family life as best we were able and what we knew on, on God's patterns. And it works. We've got children that love us and honor us. As for God, his way is perfect. Okay? Our way is there's a way that seems right to a man. What seems right to a man is I'll take charge of my own life. I'll take control. And what I'll do is I'll do it my way. What we find is everyone has a way that seems right, but it ends up messing up. God's way is perfect. So I had to choose God's way. I had to make a conscious decision to deal with it. Now, when it came to my ministry life, I thought, well, great, I can find spiritual fathers here. But uh, as it turned out, that was not to be either. So four people that I connected to as a type of father or spiritual father, someone to look up to, all fell over in adultery and caused behavior that hurt me deeply, hurt trust. So, but you see, you, I, but still, here I am out here being a father to people. So God is able to take whatever has been dished up into your life, and if you respond to him right, it becomes your stepping stone to launch you where God wants you to be. But if you don't respond right, if you respond uh, with hurt and rejection, wrong beliefs, and you let yourself get messed up, then what happens is, what, when you get out there, you just continue to mess up in spite of your best efforts. And so God wants us to be whole, wants us to be healed. Jesus came to deal with that. Why don't you have a quick look with me? We're going to look in John chapter 5. I want to share with you just a few verses here. I was impressed with this great find on Saturday night, and the, I thought it was very impressive to discover that. Okay, let's have a look quickly in John chapter 5. I'll just uh, talk through this. I'm not going to share it in a great deal of depth. We'll just pick up a few key thoughts in here, and then I want to just give people an opportunity to respond to the Lord. Jesus came to reveal what God is like. Okay? So here it is. Have a look. In verse, chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind and lame and crippled, but withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel came down to the water in the pool and stirred it in time. And whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. And there was a certain man who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd been there in that condition a long time, he said, do you want to be made well? But he said, well, I got no one to put me there in the pool. When the water stirred, while I'm coming, someone else steps down. And Jesus said to him, arise. Take up your bed and walk. And immediately he was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that was a Sabbath day. Now, we see here that there's a multitude of sick people there. Multitude. Multitude means there were just heaps of them. They were stacked in that place called Bethesda, which means the house of mercy. The place of mercy. Now, God wants us to understand he's a God of mercy. So when you see Jesus moving, you'll see God being a God of mercy. He loves to help people, loves to work in our lives. He's got good things for us. And so these people are waiting. It says there are multitudes who are blind, people with no vision, no sense of purpose in their life. God doesn't want you to live without vision or purpose. People who are lame, they couldn't walk. They were unable to walk their life, unable to walk out purpose, unable to fulfill their destiny for various reasons. And then there's someone there who's people there who are withered. That word cripple means literally withered up. They were withered, dried, no life. And when people are withered up, they're usually very full of shame and, 
embarrassment and they, they, they withdraw inside themselves. And every one of them there is wanting a better life. And they're all hoping somehow, some way, something good will happen to them. Now, doesn't that describe a heap of people we know? They've got no vision or purpose, messed up inside, unable to really live their lives right, uh, kind of withered in some parts of their life or relationships. And they're hoping some big deal will happen. They're hoping for some breakthrough or hoping they'll strike the lotto, you know. And, you know, people hope they strike the lotto have really got problems in their life because life doesn't work by striking lotto. It doesn't work that way. It works by sowing and reaping. And uh, so all these people are waiting for a man. They're all hoping something will happen. And there's one man there who was 38 years there. And uh, that man, 38 years, the number 38, significant because that is, the, that is the length of time Israel wandered, missing the purpose of God, withered and dying and missing out on what God had because they wouldn't believe God. They just wouldn't believe that he was good and could get them where they wanted to get them. So they wandered for all that time. And Jesus came up and asked them this important question, do you want to be made whole? Do you want? Do you choose? Do you have a mindset? You'll be different. Do you have a mindset or an attitude? Do you choose to get out of the situation? That's an interesting thing to ask them. Because I found a lot of people are happy to stay where they are. Now, whatever has happened in your life, whatever's happened in your background that has hurt, wounded, it could be abuse, it could be divorce, it could be some kind of terrible thing has happened, and no one's wanting to minimize for you the pain and the hurt and the ache that has caused. I wouldn't dishonor you by minimizing what that has done. However, you've got to answer the question Jesus puts to you. Do you want to stay there in that condition or do you want to change? And no one can make the decision for you. You see, I could have gone through life messing everything up, hoping to make it right, but still messing it up. But I had to make, God put it to me. Do you want to change? Do you want to be different? I said, I do. He said, then this is what you're going to have to do. I'll show you a few simple things in a moment. Say, do you want to be different? If you've got a lot of baggage you've carried because of the mistreatment by authority figures, mistreatment by parents, mistreatment by people over you in life, you've got to decide whether you want to stay holding the baggage or shift. The whole purpose for us doing this undercover is to address an issue in our nation that affects us all. And that is a strong, independent spirit that won't come under any authority and dishonors people over us. It's all through our culture. And it's in our homes, the dishonoring of parents. It's in, in every area of our culture. You see the dishonoring of parents, dishonoring of authorities. And the, then you see also the mistreatment and abuse by people in authority. So it's a total breakdown. And we look around and you say, well, look at all the families. What's happening in the families? You can look at how... People in leadership in various places are doing these bad things. We look at all that. Or we can say, do you personally want to change? Because I can be part of the solution or part of the problem. I want our young people to be part of the solution. I remember at one time I put pressure on Anna. There was an issue, and I said, Anna, I want you to be part of the solution. Will you change? And she said, I will. I really honor her for that. Very difficult. See, it's just you've got to decide 
whether you're going to continue on this thing or whether you're going to change. So our purpose in doing Undercover was to bring up to the surface issues where people have had conflict with authorities and have offenses and, and unresolved issues and now don't trust God and are running an independent life to actually make the decision, I'll exceed that thing, I'll deal with the baggage, get it right and start to trust God. Now that doesn't mean that everyone's going to treat you right. What it means is you've got a perspective in life that allows God to use that thing that hurt you to get you where he wants you to get. I'll show a real simple key in a moment how to do that, and then we'll just get to prime minister of people. Okay, do you want to shift? Do you want to change, or do you want to stay where you are? That's the question. Do you want to shift? Do you want to change? It's a choice. What he's saying, essentially, to be free is a choice. To be free is a choice. Will you make the choice to be free? Will you make the choice to face some of these things? Eh? Here's a, so what, what comes up? Well, he says, well, I've got no one to help me. So basically, he's got excuses. Are you making excuses? Well, you don't understand my father. You don't understand my background. You don't. Are you making excuses for changing? See, Jesus will not take any part. If, you make ex- if we make excuses, then what happens is we have no power to go forward in our life. We've just got to give up excuse making. So Jesus gave him several things. Number one, he asked him clearly, do you choose to be free? It's your choice. So you can tell us the long, sad story, or you can cut it to the core part of it. I'm choosing to come out of it. What do I need to do? Huh? You can choose to live crippled, lame, no vision, or you can choose to position yourself towards the Lord to allow him to work in your life. That's our choice. Second thing is we've got to deal with excuses. No excuse. Well, I'm angry because my father treated me that. Okay. But your anger is your anger. Stop blaming him. Start to let it go. It's our choice to let go. It's our choice. And it's pain. I'm not saying it's easy. It wasn't easy for me, certainly. I'm sure it isn't easy for some of you. I've been in talk with some of you, the things you've been through. And they, they just, they just, I've wept after it because I've heard, it's just so horrendous, some of the things that people in this church have been through. But you still choose not to shelter under excuses and not to choose to stay. You've got to make a choice to go forward. Okay, you notice the, the next thing that, uh, one of the next things that Jesus said to him, he tells him a little later in one of the verses, he said, he said, do not sin anymore. In other words, Jesus confronted the sin. So fi- firstly, he said, freedom's a choice. Secondly, he said, don't hide under excuses. Thirdly, he said, you've got to stop sinning. You've got to stop excusing being bitter because of what someone else did. You've got to excuse your behavior. You've got to stop excusing your behavior that you know is wrong because of what someone did to you. If you've got an anger problem, don't blame someone else. It's your thing. Stop blaming someone. Deal with the anger problem, the anger issue. It's a sin. Repent of it. If there's rebellion, abundance, or what I said, just stop blaming someone else to find an excuse why you can stay there. Just deal with it. Don't sin anymore or you'll be in a worse place. God says, just deal with the stuff. So the first thing he tells, he brings to this man, he just, he just wants him to position himself to be free. And it's essentially saying, it's your choice to be free. You've got to stop making excuses for your behavior and your lifestyle, and you stop sinning. And then the next thing he tells him, he actually gives him a command. He speaks into his life what he must do. Now, this is the part. If you make the decision, stop making excuses, repent of the sin, then as you respond to God's word, he gets you up to live. This is what, this is what I, I realize. 
I realized God spoke to me. First thing I needed to recognize there was pain. I didn't recognize how deeply I'd been hurt. And the Lord showed me a particular time in my life when I'd been deeply wounded. He said, you must actually face the pain and forgive. And I remember sitting there one day weeping for probably two hours, just weeping with the grief of feeling unloved all those years. It was just, I just sobbed and so I just cried. I just said, so I just want to be loved. So I'm a grown man. This is, tr- this is horrible. You know? But I decided God's way, as for God, his way is perfect. He said, just grieve over your loss. It's real. He said, the loss is real. You were robbed. I hadn't thought of that. When I found, when I found that I had been robbed all those years of what God wanted to bless me with, I wept and wept and wept. That's, so grieving over the loss is a big part of getting free. Second thing he said, you need to actually realize you're really angry towards your dad. Forgive. You've got to let it go. You've got to forgive him. And I said, whoa. So for some time, I chose to arise and forgive and let go. Forgive means to stop blaming them. This is what God said to me. He said, now this was just so vivid. I've used to help others. He said, what you want him to do, he can't do. It's like a man who's got a broken leg and you're telling him to run. He just can't do it. Stop expecting him to. Just accept him like he is. Oh, I didn't want to. I want him to meet my need. That's why I had to agree. He said, God just spoke to me very clearly. Just got to grieve over the need. Let it go. And forgive. So every day after I rose up to forgive. Now, I got a certain measure of freedom that way. And then the Lord said to me one other thing. And oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll share with you just, I'll simply give you the two scriptures so you can just get what they are, and then we'll finish up. He showed me these scriptures here. Here's one of them. In 1 Thessalonians, I think about 5.18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus concerning you. Oh! Can I want you to begin to thank me now for the past? See, I don't think I want to. I'm not very happy with it. In fact, I'm actually very upset with it, and I'm feeling still a bit ripped off over it all. Okay? And he said, I want you to thank me. And I said, why should I thank me? I don't want to thank you. I'm struggling with that verse. Why should I thank you? He said, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. He says, well, my will is my plan for you to thank. So why would I thank? And then he showed me the second scripture. Here's the other one. He said, everything is sanctified by the giving of thanks. Oh. Sanctified means set apart for God to work in made possible for God to work through. Now, here's the thing that he said. He said, I want you to thank me for permitting these things to happen because they are the stepping stone to get you where you are now. I thought, whoa. Right, the lights went on. Took me a little bit to see that. He said, well, all those years you were rejected, all those years that you felt that pain, he said, he said, what happened is you have learned inside how to handle some things and you've learned to come and lean upon me. And so what God revealed is he revealed his father love to me one day and the heavens opened up and I just again wept and wept and wept as I experienced the father love of God just loving me, holding me and I just wept and wept. And he said, I birthed in you a hunger for something. I birthed in you a destiny. He said, none of what happened was all that good. But nevertheless, 
if you will thank me, I can step you up from it and launch you to become something. And so the, the freedom came for me, not just when I acknowledged my past and, and began to grieve over it, not when I forgave Dan and began to bless him. When I actually thanked God, it was the stepping stone to get me where he wanted me, and actually God had permitted it. And when I thanked God, I was able to come above it, and God opened up a whole number of things for me that would never have been possible. Ah, everything is sanctified. In other words, when we begin to thank God, and we magnify him and bring him into the situation to turn it around. So what the devil used to destroy you, God can then step you up from it, and it becomes an opportunity to minister to others. And every area in our ministry where the devil has attacked us and caused pain, as we come up to be able to praise God and thank God and bless God in the middle of it, we were able to add something to our ministry life and experience from it. So what the devil sent to bring harm, God used us to step up and get where he wanted us to get. Now, I think the devil's going to quit one day. Because if every time he launches something to destroy our life and we respond by praising God, thanking God, drawing grace from God, and rising and overcoming evil with good, what happens is what the devil said to destroy us, God steps us up to, de to defeat him. And so in every one of these areas, he's fired a weapon at us. I have seen thousands of people set free. You can't believe how many times I've been in auditoriums where the Father love of God has touched people and they've wept and wept or fallen down and been under the power of God for ages. Thousands and thousands over the years. But I never knew that that was all part of God's way of getting me from there up to here. Now, before I got into the world, before I went through all that rejection, all that pain, God already had this in mind. But what he needed me to do was to make a decision not to get bitter and angry and grotesque and with it and make a mess of my life. He wanted me to actually look to him in the middle of it. I wish I had done that years ago. I must have been a crazy person. I remember sitting in a meeting and God's calling me to respond and I'm holding the chair. No way I'm going up the front there. No way I'm getting in front of those people. No one. I remained in misery for another two years, then came to Christ, gradually began to respond to things. I remember someone coming to our house saying, you need deliverance. What? And then I coughed out all the stuff that I'd been accumulated over the years. Ah, good stuff. Well, I knew, I'd, I knew I'd seen God earlier on, but it's okay. God knew the right timing, see? His timing is perfect, and his timing is perfect for you today to respond to him.